Morning, everyone. Good to be here together. Nice bit of rain, isn't it? Hey, it's been hard getting up in the morning, though. I must admit, we had the early morning service this morning with the eight o'clock service, which means I got up about six thirty. It was dark, and the rain was pitter pattering on the roof, and the bed was cosy. But I got up. I was here. It was excellent. Well, um, if you're here for the first time today, welcome. It's great to have you here, and. Um, uh, we're starting our Jesus Is series. So our first one today is Jesus Is Compassionate, or Jesus Is Compassion. Uh, today we work out and see how. Let me pray for us and uh, we'll get going. Heavenly Father, give us faith to receive your word, understanding to know what it means, and the will to put it into practice. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, the, the parable of the, of the prodigal son, as it's often been called, it's probably one of the most well-known parables, isn't it, uh, of going around, the power of the prodigal son. Now, of course, we know it's well-known because sporting commentators misuse the term. That's how we know it's well-known. Uh, I was down listening the other day and I, was, I was heard a sporting commentator describe how this player had returned to the team after being away for a, quite a long time and it said, the prodigal son returns. Of course, that's not what prodigal means. No, no, no. Prodigal actually means uh, to be a reckless spendthrift. Here we go. So that's the definition up here. A reckless spendthrift. Oh, I love this. Having or giving something on a lavish scale. That's what it means to be prodigal. How about that? Now, there's no doubt the younger son in this story is prodigal. A prodigal son. But that's not really what this, the message, the, the focus of this passage really is. The message of this parable is of a prodigal father. I'm going to leave that with you for a moment and we'll come back to it, mull on that for a little while. And I guess while we're correcting things, as I like to do, the NIV in our little Bibles, our pew Bibles, our church Bibles, has the heading, the NIV gives the heading, it's not part of the Word of God, it's, a, it's the translators who do that for us, usually it's pretty good. This time it says the parable of the lost son. Eh, it's actually the parable of two lost sons and we'll see why in a moment. So if you've got Luke 15 open in front of you, that's a really good thing. Get that open in front of you, Luke 15, and uh, there's a, in your bulletin there's an outline that you can follow along to and you can then see how long I've got to go. That's always helpful. All right, now... Um, Let's, let's, let's have a look at this parable first up. Let's go through this story. I think really there's two acts in the story, uh, two parts to the story that Jesus tells. Let's take a moment or two to recap the story and then we'll spend some time thinking about what Jesus is saying and why does he tell this story. Act one is the younger brother, the younger son. The first scene, so act one, scene one, is a confronting scene, especially for a Jewish reader. And it ought to confront us as well. Look at verse 12. Father, said the younger son, give me my share of the estate. Give me my share of the estate. It's an astonishing request. A son's inheritance is settled after the father has died. Not before. It's a sign of deep disrespect. It was to wish him dead. That's what it was. It's an extraordinary insult. It's a, I want your things, Father, but I don't want you. That's what he's saying. 
I want your things, I just don't want you. A break in relationship. But you know it's just as astonishing. Look at verse 12, the second half of verse 12. Look at the father's response. See what he does? So he divided his property between them. He did it between the two brothers. Now, in Middle Eastern culture, uh, the, the father is expected, or would be expected, to explode in discipline in, uh, in response to this younger son's request. I read one commentator who surveyed a bunch of Middle Eastern fathers. Now, I think this was, was, was done some time ago, so don't, don't take it the wrong way. But he asked them what they would have done if their son asked for their estate before he died. And their response was, about 90% of the time, was they would have given him a beating. <laughs> okay. Um, but that, that was the response. In other words, discipline would have rained down. That would have been pretty cranky. This, was, this is a, a very disrespectful thing to ask. But not this father. He didn't do that, did he? He gave up his property between them. In effect, he gave up his life. You see, in such cultures, his land was his life and his standing in the community. No land, you've got no standing. Why would the father do this? Oh, because he loved his son. That's why. Well, the son wastes no time, does he? He gathers up all his wealth and he heads off to a faraway land to discover himself. He gets up to no good. And he recklessly spends all he has on wild living. Prodigal. Uh, soon he's broke. And a famine hits the land. And he's desperate and he's in need. And so he hires himself out to a pig farmer. He even wishes he could eat what the pigs were eating. In terms of sinfulness, at least in Jewish culture, because pigs were seen as unclean, don't go any near them, Jesus wants to say that this young man had hit rock bottom. So, he devises a plan. He knew he wouldn't and he couldn't be welcomed back into the family as a son. Maybe he could get, maybe he could, he could get work for his father and, and, um, as a hired hand, some sort of job, and then he could work off and pay off his debt he had to his father. It was a good plan, he thought. And so there in the, in the pigsty amongst the yuck and the mud, well, he, he rehearses his speech. He says, Father, I've sinned against, you, against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Well, he got up and he left and went to his father. Have a look at verse 20, second half of verse 20. Extraordinary sentence, a beautiful sentence. But why he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to him and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. That's a beautiful scene, isn't it? It's a beautiful scene of a loving father. Now, as a general rule, Middle Eastern men don't run. We, we looked at Zacchaeus a while back. We worked out the Middle Eastern men don't climb trees. Well, they don't run either. They, all, they were wearing robes. 
long robes usually and you don't show your knees. So the last thing a Middle Eastern man would do is hitch up his robes and go, you know, running down the driveway. He wouldn't show his, show his legs like that. That's just, you don't, it's undignified. You don't do that sort of thing if you're a Middle Eastern man. It's certainly not something that an owner of a great estate would do. Hitch up his robes and run down the driveway. And I'm thinking the driveway is pretty long. Well, imagine he runs to his son uh, and he shows his, his emotions publicly and openly, doesn't he? He throws, around, throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Imagine what the younger son would have felt. <laughs> imagine that. Of all that's gone on, what he's done. Imagine the, he'd be shocked, wouldn't he? So what's, what's going on? What are you doing? And so his younger son, he, he tries to roll out his business plan, you know? He tries to rehearse, he gets his speech up and running and he wants to say what he wants to say, but the father would have nothing of it. The father really interrupts him and he contradicts his son's little plan. Bring out the best robe, he shouts out. Put a ring on his finger. That's, it's a sign of restored standing in the family. The father's saying, I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to wait until you've paid off your debt or, or wait until you've groveled or earned your way back. No, no, no. I'm simply going to take you back. I'm simply going to take you back. I will cover your nakedness, your poverty, your rags with the robes of my office and my honour. That's what he's doing. And so the party gets started. The fattened calf, well, that's reserved for the, the, the rarest of celebrations. Having, um, just having meat was a bit of a luxury, really. A fattened calf is cool. This is a party for the whole community. Everyone's invited. This is big. It's a, a big moment for the family and the community. But when the older brother hears the music and dancing and probably smells the, the uh, fattened calf on the spit roast, smells good now, doesn't it? Yeah, I like it. Um, when he smells that, when he hears that, we're now moving to Act 2, by the way. Act 2. When he hear, heard the homecoming and the celebrations, he was furious. He was angry. Well, it's now his turn to disgrace his father. In fact, in verse 29, rather than saying, Father, he looks at him and he says, Look. Actually, really, it should, should read, Look you. This doesn't sort of work as well in the English, but look you. Rather than calling him Father, look you. And in a very public statement, he refuses to go back inside and celebrate. It's a public show of no confidence and disrespect in his father's actions. But mercifully, the father comes outside. See, hosts don't leave their parties, by the way. Again, in that culture, if you were to leave, you're the, you're the host of the party, you don't walk away from your guests, you stay with your guests. But not him, no, no, no. He leaves the party and pleads with his older son. The son argues back, I've done all the right things. I've earned more respect than this. The inheritance ought to be mine alone. See, inviting the son back into the family again splits the inheritance again. My brother has done nothing to earn anything. Look what I've done, he says. My brother deserves to be kicked out, but you shower him with gifts. Well, how's the father going to respond? Well, again, he invites the older son to come into the feast. The door is still open. 
even though the oldest son has publicly rebelled against the father. The father won't disown either brother. But the older brother will need to swallow his pride to come back. And that's where Jesus ends the parable. Is <laughs> that one of those things? I always, why can't you finish the story? What happens to the older brother? What happens? Well, I guess we'll find out in a few moments, actually. But that's where he leaves it. And that's where I can imagine the people listening in would have been sitting on the edge of their seats. Is that it? What happens next? What's Jesus saying? Why does he... Why does he tell this story? Well, the clue is to look back at the start of the chapter. If you've got your Bible, go back to 15 verse 1. In fact, I think I've got it up here. 15 verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable. In fact, he told three parables, didn't he? Four, actually. See, although Jesus is surrounded by tax collectors and sinners, it was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that he was targeting on. Of course, there's no doubt he wanted, to, he wanted the tax collectors and teachers of the law to listen as well, to hear. But Jesus wants to shake up the Pharisees. He, he, wants, to, he wants to offend them. He want, this is radical stuff. He wants to challenge their attitude to sinners. He wants to challenge their attitude to younger brothers. He wants to challenge these older brothers in their understanding of God and about sin and about salvation. Let's just take a few moments to, to see how Jesus does that. How does he challenge them? First about God. Jesus describes God as a father and a good, good father. If you were here uh, on time to church this morning, <clears throat> um, you would have seen a great video <laughs> of uh, a great song, Good, Good Father. That's why I played it. If you missed out, bad luck, too bad, got to hear on time. Um, Jesus describes God as a father. That's, that's radical stuff for these Jewish men and women listening in, these, these Pharisees. He's not distant and angry, but he's personal and he's loving, he's compassionate. He's the God who hitches up his robes and runs out to greet you with open arms. That's the God that, that we read in, in the Bibles, and that's the God uh, that Jesus describes, who runs to his son, throws his arms around him and kisses him. God's not some strict disciplinarian to, out to punish sinners. And to many of us in our community, that's what people think of God as. God is someone who wants to put you on a guilt trip. That's not God. Not at all. It's not the God in the Bible. I don't know what God it is, but it's not the God in the Bible. And it's not the God, it's, it's not the God that these teachers of the law describe, thinking like God is some big policeman in the sky out to book us and we don't stick to the rules. No, no, no. The true nature of God is a father welcoming back sinners with open arms, a father of compassion and mercy. Jesus redefines God. See, he does the same with sin. Act 1, well, Act 1's a pretty traditional view of sin, don't you think? I guess the Pharisees listening on would have nod their heads. Oh, yes, 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 yes that's, 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 that's what sin is. This younger brother is a very sinful younger brother. Yes, that's what he is. He strayed from the father on his trip of self-discovery. And he's indeed a sinner. Yes, he says. But Act 2 comes along and Jesus directs his teaching at the Pharisees and he redefines sin. You see, the bad one ends up being the good one, welcomed back into the family, forgiven and restored. But the good one, he's on the outer. He doesn't come in. 
He cannot humble himself and, and, and welcome the younger brother into the family. His uh, goodness and his righteousness that he's earned, he says, actually keeps him from the father. Religion is, is, religion is not what God desires. See, both sons are alienated from the father's heart. Each one wanted the father's things, but not the father. They both at one time or another have used the father's things to get what they want. A status, wealth, sex, experience, whatever. They've done this by either being very good or very bad. A lot of people think that the same way when it comes to getting to know God. Or making ourselves right, you know. It's either moral conformity, I'm a good person. Of course, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm religious. I'm ticking all the boxes. Moral conformity. Or, or self-discovery. That's the younger brother. Life's about experiencing everything. That's what makes me whole. Uh, all the father's things without the father. You know, at first I thought, Robertson is hardly the place for younger brothers. You know, experiencing all that life has to offer. Maybe that's true. It's a bit harsh on Robertson. Robertson's pretty quiet sometimes. Maybe you go to a big city for that. You know, you go to a New York or, a, or even Sydney. But then I thought, no, 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 it's not quite right. See, the younger brother, he's running away from God, isn't he? He's still taking all the father's things without the father, and we, of course, can do that anywhere. He's experiencing everything, but taking no time to experience God. In the end, either two options, the younger brother, the older brother, well, they both disrespect the father. That's why it ought to be the parable of the two lost sons. Jesus also tells us something about salvation, uh, becoming right with God. It's not about good people and bad people, is it? It's not about self-justification. Jesus wants his listeners, that's you and I, that it's God who initiates. In both brothers, it's God in his love for his children who initiates. He goes out to both sons. He runs out to one and showers him with, with kisses and wraps his arms around him. In the other one, he leaves the party and pleads with him to come back in. It's God who initiates. If you want to come to know the Father, you put your trust in God and his grace, his love for you. The only way to the Father is through God's grace. Uh, perhaps God is even initiating with you today, loving you and calling you to him. And Jesus too, when you think about salvation, Jesus wants us to see that repentance is not just about sins. Uh, you see, when we come to God and repent, when we say sorry and we, we turn away from the things we've done, our rejection of the Father, that, that's not about things, it's, it's, it's about him. It's about our hearts. So it's not about lists. See, the, the older brother, he had a list I suppose, isn't he? he had, I've, done, I've never done anything wrong. Look what I've done. Look at all the things I've earned on my list. Or he could say, I've got nothing on my list. I've done nothing wrong. No, no, no. he was his own saviour and lord, wasn't he, this older brother? It's not about lists. In fact, when I steal a line from a sermon I listened to during the week, um, we ought to repent at what we've done right. <laughs> Think about that for a minute and then get outraged. Um, <laughs> I think what he was saying, and I think it's good, you see, we ought to repent 
at our attempts to self-justify. That's what he's saying. And that's true, isn't it? To make ourselves Saviour and Lord. That's what we ought to repent about. And so when we think about the way God saves us, we ought to be moved. And as another writer put it, we ought to be moved and melted at what it costs the Father to bring you home. In fact, we could say the father in the story, well, was prodigal with his love. It's lavished on us. He's prodigal with his love, his life, his mercy. 1 John 3.1 says, See what great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. In verse 31, even tells us, The father has given the elder son everything he has. Yet the great sadness is that even then the elder son refuses to welcome home the younger brother. He refuses to give up anything for the younger brother. But friends, here's the good news. The good news is that we have a true elder brother in God's son, Jesus. Jesus who is compassion. Jesus who loves sinners like you and me. Who welcomes them and invites them into the party. Showing the compassion of the Father, Jesus gave himself up completely and brings us into and welcomes us into God's family. At great cost, Jesus paid the debt that we owe to the Father because of our sin. By dying for us, he took the punishment for our rejection of God for wanting the Father's things but not the Father. In his death, he gave us life, he brings us home, and he welcomes us back. I want to play a little video, and I think it will help us to remember the Father's love. It will help us to remember our true elder brother, the Father's welcoming arms, his mercy to sinners like you and me. Thanks, Ron.